0: Good morning, everyone. Good
1: morning.
2: Good morning, Louise.
0: Good morning, dear morning.
2: morning.
0: Welcome back again. Again. Um, um, it's going to be another exciting one, and uh, like we've said before, and we're all quite uh, quite excited about this one.
2: And and a little bit nervous as well. <laughs> we we've we've noticed that we we've catching um, attention across the global arena at the moment. Looking at the YouTube and who's been following in the comments. So we certainly have uh, put Lucent Lens into the spotlight, and certainly put the Vision Two Hundred and Sixty into the spotlight, which is exactly what I wanted. So we're achieving exactly what we we set out to do.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Thank you again.
2: So maybe I should start again, you know, I think, I'm hoping we're going to get a lot of people on live this morning, as i mentioned, I've, I've shared it on a number of my platforms to to hopefully inspire people to join our conversation, um, not only live, so we can get some good comments and feedback um, during the session, and then obviously this will be made available live on the different platforms afterwards, but as I've mentioned in the, in the previous session, I said to you, and I didn't allude to what I thought was going to be the the biggest constraint and problem area for our industry is, is certainly not going to be the ports i think given some of our recent conversations with transnet and i've seen the transnet turnaround strategy i think within at least the first, next 12 to 18 months um we should see a, a big turnaround in particular with the international um private um, operator coming into into pier two the public private partnership with the international container terminal services we're hoping that Firstly, that's going to take place. We're putting a lot on the back of that, and we should see some turnaround of that. So I've, as I've mentioned to you in the introductions, the, the biggest constraint I think is going to come from transportation, and in particular from the northern region, because in the last session, as I showed you, the growth that's coming from the northern region is, is, is quite a lot more than what I think we're going to be able to handle from the different aspects in our logistics chain, and principally on the transport side. Given, given some of our current limitations on, on rail transportation, and we're going to have a lot of discussion on that, and hopefully we're going to see, um, you know, a lot more positive traction on the trains to, to offset the demand in rail transportation. So certainly today's topic is going to be principally about transportation. And I'm going to show you some of the key statistics on that, and hopefully that'll inspire some some discussion. And then we're luckily and fortunate enough to have jan louis Pilster on with us this morning at short notice who will give us a policy update on rail to really give us an update on where the the future of the rail um, transport in South Africa lies, and in particular for our industry, where we can capitalize on it.
0: Sorry, I've muted there, Sorry, um, yeah, we are we are very keen to hear what, what's yes. going on, and um, and uh, j- just as a just as a catch up since last week, what what has been the feedback that's happening in the ports? Of uh, just just as a as a brief overview. I've seen some articles saying that there's cranes and stuff that's been coming in and all sorts of things. Can yeah. you maybe just give us a brief update on what's happening?
2: Yes, yeah, so um, you would have seen that I wrote a newsletter to the citrus growers on Friday and um, highlighting some of our our concerns going into the current season. And our concerns, I think, are very valid. You know, obviously, um, you may be a bit sensitive to what's been been circulated, depending on where you are in the in the chain but we must also remember that our principal goal is to ensure that our farmers are very much aware of what's happening there because we represent farmers we make sure that they are acutely aware of what some of the constraints are in that that specific environment and we have to do that to ensure that they're prepared so that's what that was really about and i'll I'll be honest with you and perhaps you might want to touch on that as well a bit later is the with the inception of the National Logistics Crisis Committee um from last year when we had that meeting with the president, he invoked that as well as a change in the almost the entire Transnet leadership. Um although we 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 were expecting some immediate turnarounds there, it is we've also got to understand that the challenges remain um, not an immediate fix because the, the as we as I mentioned to the equipment challenges are quite severe. And that's going to take a bit of time to to bring in the right equipment to to ensure the terminals turn around. So, so that was the first um, first set of information we're going to be just giving back to growers. The CRR Packhouse workshops are currently underway and I did an online presentation, which um, I've actually received some very good response from, from, from farmers on that. So thank you for that, as well as our board. And we'll be doing um, quite often, I'll be writing Justice newsletter just on the current um, you know, sort of operational environment. On the back of the fact that we we are anticipating quite a big crop this year, um, it will be surprising if it isn't, given the feedback we're getting from from the growers. So the the pressure on the to, on the ports is going to be quite severe, and I, in the newsletter, i highlighted that quite well. Um, but at the moment, we still we still seeing the same sort of thing. There is actually um, positively enough quite a bit of recovery. Durban has now only got eight vessels outside, uh, which is quite good. Pier two, mostly. Um, the Kukha PE terminal is working very well. Cape Town is now this morning down to five vessels for Cape Town, so they are recovering. Unfortunately, the wind is coming back in again today until Sunday. So that's going to offset the recovery we've seen there. But as I mentioned to you in the previous presentation, Cape Town is not really a worry for us because by April it it, it rebalances itself and uh, is, is set well for the, the citrus season. It's really, I think, Durban that we, we're focusing and I'm very concerned about. But we, all, as I mentioned, we're going to be meeting with Transnet in the next two weeks, um, just to talk about how we're going to align to to ensure we carry this, this big crop for the season. So that's where it stands at the moment. So just look out for the good communication that will keep keep everybody in in touch with. And again, the WhatsApp groups I've now got 230 people of that WhatsApp group, and uh, you're providing daily daily communication through the season. Yeah. So keep up to date with those communication platforms.
0: Yeah, I've also shared it to, to a number of like the citrus fruit people down here. So it, it's just good info to have because you share it on there all the time. It's, it's good for them to know what's going on.
2: Yes. As we go into the season, I'll be putting a lot more information on, on where we are and where we're going. And some of my movements as well. I'll take some pictures of where I am, meeting with different people, keeping people up to up date to of what I'm specifically doing. Yeah.
0: Oh, fantastic. So I think let's okay. not
2: waste time. I'd like you yeah. to get into the Vision 260 and, and let's go with the discussion on road and rail. And that's really the, the essence of today's session, uh, session number two. So if you just give me a second just to share my screen. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to put it into presentation mode. We have figured out what was the issue of the last session, why we couldn't get into presentation mode. So we should have that rectified now. Okay, let me know once you see that. There
0: we go.
1: Yep, it's working.
2: Okay, so we're in we should be in full presentation mode, I hope. Yes. Good. Okay, so let's let's go into it. So this essentially what I'm presenting is the strategic direction on logistics and shipping. Um, as I mentioned in the previous sessions, there are eight projects, and I'm I'm basically heading up six of them, which are centered around logistics and shipping and shipping just to mention is not around anything to do with shipping contracting. It's really just looking at where are the supply of of fruit likely to go into markets that are going to expand. And then obviously we're looking at vessels um, capacity and container capacity and even going so far as to port capacity in the receiving market. So that's what the shipping is all about, just to to clarify that position. And again, just to to mention that you know obviously we're providing this information in full faith that we're giving you as, as accurate data as we possibly can but we've obviously got to understand that um, we are limited in terms of its accuracy into the into the future seasons so there's the six projects i'm going to be covering um this last session we we went into the long-term crop projection model and the regional output um, and i would encourage people to go and, and watch that session um, because it obviously leads into the next session which is session number two and it's going to focus on inland road and rail transportation going to re-emphasize this for the new members that are online and people that are watching this for the first time is that um growth in citrus production and exports is is imminent and the data that we showed in the previous session i certainly believe that the 230 240 million cartons which we're estimating is really going to materialize should all factors be favorable for for conditions of export and um I do believe that industry and partners um, should be part of the success of this industry and play their respective roles to ensure that we, we achieve the actual Vision 260 and the volume, because it's going to have a really positive spin on the industry, positive spin on the farmers, positive spin on the rural development aspects. And everybody's likely to make some money in the, in the process as well, because the more volume that's coming in, there's more opportunity to make some return on that. And yep. As I also mentioned, I think as we um, go into some of these projects, and particularly on today's session, when we talk about road and rail, is we, we we need to see partnerships in the form of exporters and and um, the fresh project exporters forum playing a very pivotal role in bringing the um the exporters and stakeholders together because they have the commercial um arm of their business in terms of contracting specific projects so as far as we've got in terms of cja the forthwith we're going to need to partner with those those entities that do have the commercial contracts and, and go out and, and contract certain um, initiatives commercially and we're looking to, to open up a more efficient and effective logistics system, and obviously trying to hopefully reduce costs at the end of it as well. And I think it's going to be very essential for industry and partners to work together, cooperate, collaborate, and to un- unlock the logistics and shipping potential um, as we go into subsequent seasons. Again, just to emphasize the, the key aspect around the, um, the corridors that fruit is grown and exported in the northern corridor from Durban, Makuto, eastern Cape corridor, the western Cape corridor from Cape Town. And I'm emphasising this again because if we're talking about road and rail, if you look at the distances, for instance, from the Durban port upwards into Zimbabwe, which is as far as one thousand four hundred kilometres, it has a much more significant role to play in terms of the road rail dynamics than it does to areas which are closer to the port. And that's why I'm emphasising this: is that when it comes to rail, our immediate opportunities and focus should really be on this on this corridor because the distance factor really starts to favour to favour rail. I'm not I'm not saying. Excluding these areas altogether, I'm just saying our immediate focus needs to be on on the capitalising on that because that's where I see most of the constraints uh, coming in, and with that massive growth that we've shown in the in the previous slides. Yep. And and just uh, Louise and dear old member, I mentioned I can't see your faces, so if you have a question, please just intercept and then we can we can discuss it at that point. Thanks. I will do so. We'll do so. Great. <laughs> Thank you. And let's keep the banter banter going and the and the and the. Uh, and the jokes as we did in the last session it keeps everyone interested. Okay, so let's move into now inland transportation, road and rail. Let's focus on the specific aspects around the principally the road transportation demand and how that's going to to relay over to the the need for rail to come into the space to to offset what we are anticipating as a massive road demand, um, which we in my view I think is going to be quite limited in terms of that that supply matching that demand. So first and foremost, let's put the glasses on. Um, a very interesting exercise which I've been looking at is obviously um, understanding the road conditions across the country where citrus is being produced and where it's been moving to, in particular down to the ports. And the key elements for us to understand how road conditions play a part in the actual, um, not only the product itself, but the pricing of, of, of transportation. Now, what worries me, And it worries me a lot. And I travel the country quite extensively right across the country. I do it two or three times a year. I purposely get in my vehicle. And if I go to meetings, I'll drive. So I can see the road conditions firsthand. And what I'm seeing is because of the movement, in particular, I'm noticing up north from the the mineral sort of uh, mining sector, moving trucks down to, say, Maputo, Richards Bay and to Durban. Uh, in vast numbers that the road conditions are now starting to deteriorate quite extensively and i know one example for you is the m2 which um, had a complete overhaul in recent years is now looking at it's now starting to collapse again and portions of the n 2 are now collapsing to the point where there's not even time on the roads and uh, you know that starts to then impact um, our industry because our productive sensitive running on these on the road transportation and uh, being subjected to to very poor road conditions the other thing which I'm seeing, I and mean, then obviously in the Eastern Cape, the um, you know the, the manganese belt, which is moving road trucks in numbers down to to the the Kucha port, which we've noticed in the last two or three years has become quite extensive. And it's it's actually a very big cause, cause for concern as well. The other one which I'm noticing, is, which is very, really, very really troublesome for me, is the towns and cities, not so much cities, but more the towns across the, the inland areas which are now being, their roads are being de- degraded because of uh, huge trucks running through towns, which are roads are not meant to carry trucks like that. And. Um, and, and that's really, really prob- problematic. I mean, we're seeing school kids walking through streets and, and walking between big trucks running on the roads, and it's a very, very big risk aspect. And, and I know I had obsession with some of the national transports. The public of transport, and I said, they really need to go down to municipal level and find out how they can circumvent these trucks moving th- directly through towns and look at bypass roads to get these trucks off off the towns roads uh, to and keep the towns to- roads. <clears throat>
0: Sorry, yeah. should, to interrupt. Um- I'm also i'm also thinking we are in south africa and some of these places that they go through are quite i would say um, lower income areas so there's also the possibility yes. of vandalism happening on the trucks while they're moving through these areas
2: yes and we've seen that you've seen the vandalism um, you see those videos being circulated you're also seeing trucks being burnt and those sort of things um but obviously not very much to, to do with what we're discussing now but it opens up them for for targeting then you see you know, if there's a, a service protest um, happening, they will start to then vandalize trucks and, and put, um, you know, blockages on roads and things like that. And that's the, the, the mechanism they're using to get their, their service-level issues sorted out. But let's go through this again and, and and talk in detail. What is what is the issue on road? Is there a question there?
0: Yeah, I've got another question. Is I've, I've driven up north, and and if you drive between Mapumalanga and Limpopo, there's a clear difference in which... Provinces running what side of the road? Where I've seen Limpopo roads being a lot better quality and better condition with Mupumulanga roads. It's like a, a, you you, you drive, there's potholes, and then all of a sudden there's welcome to Limpopo, and then you've got a beautiful road ahead. How is this going to be working between the provinces to get each to do their own?
2: So there's 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 now a, it is a concern for me, and and, and yes you are right to a certain extent, but I can tell you in Limpopo. If we talk about the uh, recently, I was invited by Guy Whitaker to go up to uh, to to Wipy to go and have a look at the road there, and and I promise you my my vehicle almost didn't make it back, and that's in Limpopo. That's the the R two which is probably, I think in my view, uh, the worst condition road that I've been on. Um, you know where our citrus is moving. And look, I'll be honest with you. The, we had a board session uh, end of last year. I raised this in the board session, and our board said, "Look, we can't a CJA. We don't have the capacity and and ability to get involved here." So it was it was said that it needs to go to localised level. So our farming communities and and businesses in these areas should engage with their municipalities and their provincial governments. You know, which I've done. I've been been working with provincial Department of Transport to to focus on this um but we're not really seeing that you know that that allocation of funding and and road upgrades to the level that we we need to see so let's quickly discuss what this what this actually means so you know if we talk about uh citrus running in cartons on on trucks now with the high q palette and in particular on those open top cartons which we we see coming to ports and and being damaged and the nesting aspects you know if you a truck running over a pothole, some potholes are extensively big and if a truck hits that, you can imagine the penetration on the product in the, in the cartons and that, if it's continuous over a thousand kilometres, it can be problematic. So it has a very big impact on, on product quality um, and particularly some of our sensitive uh, carton tops and, and particularly on the open tops and I would strongly encourage growers and pack houses to make sure that you use the securing sheets. We see some some product arriving to port not using those securing sheets. They have to comply with or should comply with the CRI, pack house, um, CRI packaging um, and guidelines. Vehicle damage, if you consider the, the axles and low beds that, that get damaged when these vehicles hit, hit the roads as well, if it's continuous, it can be very problematic and start to become incredibly expensive for transporters to repair trucks. Fatalities goes without saying. We've seen the fatalities on the roads and um, because I mean I've seen it as well. I've I've almost nearly been written off a number of times where trucks have to divert from from, from hitting a pothole and come onto the oncoming traffic and obviously then you're subject to, to having a collision. So you if you're traveling on the road, you have to really be focused on 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 the traffic ahead of you. And and obviously at night it's very, very um dangerous as well. The big concern for me as well is if transporters start to say, "Look, we don't want to go to certain areas because of the the, the road conditions not being favourable. fire trucks are getting damaged, we're getting product damage in the ports, getting quality claims." So you have a risk of transport supply, and we don't want that to happen. aligned to the growth that we're expecting, in our industry we want all the roads to be as, as good as as good condition as possible, so there's no limitation or hesitation from transporters to enter into those areas to, to pick up uh, fruit for for transporting to port. So that obviously is is a very big cause of concern. Then the other one is also very um, concerning, is obviously transport cost. If there's um, product damage happening, you get increases on your insurance. The trucks themselves are starting to get damaged, um, incurring damage, traveling down uh, terrible roads. The insurance and maintenance costs start to go up. So it does have an impact on transport costs. So, yes, again, you know, it's, it's something we really need to, to get on. And if you have a look at that stats. Um, table I've got there, look at the number of, of orange lines, which is in Pumulanga, Limpopo, uh, Eswatini, Eastern Cape. Um, you know, when I travel there, the roads are, I wouldn't say in very bad condition, but they're not in proper, in pristine condition. And also, obviously, they're very narrow and, and twisty and windy. If you look at Citrus Doll, I think that needs to be updated. Um, you'll know, yeah. um, give off. I think the Ulyphans River Bridge should be corrected now and repaired, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Yeah, we were there Friday. And there wasn't any issues going into town then.
2: Yeah, that's great. So I'll, I'll update that. I would like to mention to you, and I don't want people to take this in the wrong way, but it was so interesting. I had a meeting with Minister Mayer, who's the MSC for uh, agriculture in the Western Cape a number of years ago. And on the side of a meeting, he said to me, Listen, I want to let you know that uh, my focus is to ensure that our farmers in the Western Cape, the roads that are moving your product are going to be completely rehaul- and overhauled and are going to be in pristine condition. And you guys in the Western Cape will know. He's actually done that. <laughs> if I travel through the Western Cape, the roads are really good. I mean, okay, now again, you will see some damage here and there. But by and large, I think he's actually achieved that. And I've seen a lot of road upgrades happening in the Western Cape to the farming communities. Yes. Indeed.
0: Definitely. definitely so uh,
2: definitely. Minister so May- that's what we need to other provinces. Yeah.
0: So Minister Mayor does a fantastic job here. And, and, the, and the fact that he's so vocal and in your face with these is- with all of these issues is a good thing.
2: Yes, and I, we, I meet, we meet with him um, regularly, and I always um, you know, like to say, to them, well, done on all these fishing initiatives that he, he puts in, and this is just one that um, I thought I would share with you.
1: And it okay, helps so that he has nothing a lot more sense of humor, because yeah. you know what? You need that in politics too. He's got a great sense of humor and he's a showman, and he actually gets things done. So, he does,
2: he maker. does. Yeah, absolutely, he does, yeah. Okay, so let's move to the next presentation. So this is the, the most important one. And I'm going to just explain to you how this is set out because you're seeing a lot of numbers. So what does what do the numbers represent? And I'm just going to give you a case uh, in point and then it can show you what this relates to across the across the, the different regions. So I drilled down to each region that produces citrus and I looked at their sort of base volume from about 2020, 2023. What did they produce over a week? And what is the growth rate in terms of the 2027 Vision 260 growth forecast for that region? Um, I looked at how many trucks are servicing that region each week, and I broke it down to ambient trucks, being your taut liners and your flat decks. Then I broke it down principally um, aligned to reefer trucks, which move the the soft citrus, your mandarins, down to, to port. And I focused on the green line bars there. Um, isolating that, considering that most soft citrus, if not all, is transported in reefer trucks. So I separated them two truck modes. But since then, I've heard from, uh, from from people in the industry that some of the navels and other commodities are also moving in reefer trucks. So it shows you that that's, these numbers actually um, can change. And then looking at the last bar there, you'll see the total trucks per region, the growth forecast from the base volume of historical um, production per week to the 2027 growth forecast, to those numbers you can see um on these columns uh, mitchell can you yeah uh, yeah, uh, there. yeah there you go so let's the- have a look at a, a very interesting area but principally around let's look at first of all the the growth in ambient trucks and i'm going to use let's tell as a good example for the north because they growing quite significantly in Valencia. so the base volume was nineteen thousand nineteen point six million, 19.6 million going to 22.4 million the weekly, the growth forecast, 14%. The weekly forecast on the base volume was 483 trucks moving from Sicilia to, to port. The growth rate is showing it's going to move up to 546 trucks per week, an additional 63 trucks. So that's probably the highest you're seeing on, on that, apart from, say, Sandage River Valley, but obviously that's in the north. If we look at Burgers Fort, for example, we know that Burgers Fort, the triangle between Leiden, leidenburg Burgers Fort and Urikstadt, there's significant numbers of Lake mandarins growing there. And and I've consulted with that area saying that over time, their transport demand on reefer trucks is going to be quite significant. If you have a look at their growth rate, 5.6 million cartons to 12 million cartons, double, almost double, more than double. Um, Now an average of 122 trucks moving from there down to port reefer trucks per week, going to 316 um, trucks per week. So that's another 194 trucks. So Um, you can imagine if you calculate this. Yes. Sorry,
0: Is that over the course of the whole Vision 260 or is that in like the next year or that,
2: two yes yeah, so this is going towards 2027 so if you read that that top line there it yes. says the base volume on 2027 seasons growth projection so if we look at the base volume on the last three years going to 2027 the peak okay. in terms of the numbers we've shown in the previous session so what is what is actually significant here if you look at it it's not just the regions but if you take the regions in total because remember transportation is an open system You might find some some growers or packhouses will have fixed contracts with transporters, but by and large, transport opens and operates in an open network. If you look at the numbers on the the demand for ambient trucks, additional 250 from 1,800 to 2,100. Look at the reefer trucks, 376 to 935 trucks, additional 600 truck trips a week required for the north. In total, 2,200 to 3,000 truck trips per week, going additional 800. If you look in the Eastern Cape, if we just talk on totals, you can look at these numbers in isolation between the two, 1,150 trucks to 1,500 trucks, additional 300 trucks a week needed. Western and Northern Cape from, from 950 trucks to 1,400 trucks and another 440 truck trips a week. So in total, countrywide, 4,300 truck trips per week as a base, going to 5,850 truck trips per week in terms of demand forecast. And now I must just also emphasize I've done this on a zero- Rail basis. So this considers that there's no rail whatsoever. So it, we've got to we're going to factor that into the next slide. So 1,550 truck trips per week if we don't get rail coming in, in a formidable um, presence across the supply chain, particularly on the north. So as I mentioned to you in the last session, the ports, in my view, are not really where our, our problems are going to come from. I think we're going that's going to be rectified, but certainly transportation is where I think our key issue lies. And and that really is where rail needs to come into its space to to cater for this this extra demand. And so Mitchell, I would imagine
1: looking at this, this is this is huge and it's incredibly significant. Um, we, have you spoken to uh, tr- uh, truck transport companies? I'm sure you have. And what is the feedback? And I mean, this actually also represents an opportunity.
0: And can and can and do they have the capacity for that extra 1,500 trucks per week?
2: so there, there there is the interesting discussion. Some people tell me it'll happen organically, and I, I I criticize that to some extent because we're sitting in a very seasonal um production phase. So we're not we don't run from January to December on the, on a very sort of even base. You've seen the previous curves. It has a significant peak. Um, so if we look at that demand, and this is this is um, considering trucks in peak weeks, eh? so it's the peak weeks of that of the season where these trucks need to come in to, to cater for that demand. I'm very, I'm very cautious to say that there would be enough trucks to cater for this additional demand. I mean, where are we suddenly going to see another five, one thousand five hundred truck trips handled per week in our industry, given the the seasonal constraints? And if we consider some of the delays that trucks have in the ports and and those sort of things, and then, I mean, transport economists can look at this and maybe give us a better answer. But for for in, in my view, and you know, and I've had a lot of discussion with transporters and people in industry. I think i think personally this is where our biggest constraint lies and and that's 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 my point of view and another I just don't thing see is, it
0: another thing is if there's a demand there's a price and money to be made so there you go. so it's going to get there more expensive
2: so, so look at the reefer truck demand in, in isolation because, remember, reefer trucks are a very specific um, modality. So they move, um, you know, cold products from one point to the other, mostly running full one side empty to another side. If you talk about table grapes from Cape Town yeah. in, domestically, they move them inland in quite large numbers. You know, do they get the return haul from inland back to Cape Town? I, I'm not too sure. Then you consider fish moving from Cape Town up to Joburg and, and the like. Um, it's a it's a very troublesome area for me to think that that people are going to buy additional reefer trucks to manage this this peak in citrus season and, and then have your trucks potentially sitting idle for, for eight nine months of a year. And, so and you it's, can you can ponder this yeah, and, it, and it, I think the answer is self evident to me.
0: You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's not like a tot liner yeah, that you right. can, you can load it empty. You can load it with other stuff. A re, uh, Multiple a parts, must be uh, that box must be clean sanitized. And test it, calibrate it again for whatever it's got to bring back again. So it's it's not a quick process.
2: That's right. So to some extent, in in conclusion, if you think about the the locality of the Eastern Cape and Western Cape productions, regions being quite close to to port, you know the turnaround of trucks we we know is, is quite good in peak season. So they 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 probably move empty inland in quite quite large numbers to bring product back to port. You know, running full. I've seen that particularly on the table grapes they run empty inland and run full down to the port um so i don't have too much of a of a problem there i think there may be some constraints on the reefer truck side to some extent but remember table grapes um you know and and the deciduous season is is quite a lot bigger in in terms of quantity so perhaps those areas might be 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 okay but it's the northern region that worries me where we've got you know obviously the the distances are, are quite vast and and the hesitation to move trucks empty inland because of the distance and the cost factor. Okay, so this told, is again where
0: told, yes, again this is only yeah, this is only projected on the citrus volumes. This is this, this does not some, equal, this does not this does not that's equate that's things like Avers which fall in the same bracket as well and blueberries.
2: Well, that's just a very significant point, and I'm surprised I haven't considered that. So we need to bring in avocados and others which run the same have a demand on trucks as well right in the 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 middle of our season as well so yes very good point to, to take into consideration are there any comments or anything on the chat boxes around us or are we good to to carry on nothing
0: at the moment i think they're <laughs> all <stunned. laughs> yeah
2: okay so again again it's not all doom and gloom i think we we it just really sets the precedent that that rail transportation is seriously needing to to come into the space to create a lot more efficiency hopefully some some cost benefit but obviously it's it's the way the transport and uh, demand is going it's it's going to have to come into to offset that so i've done an interesting exercise here on this one it's just putting together what i call a heat map in terms of isolating the different regions and each of those circles represent um the the volume towards 2027 if we consider each region's growth around the the orange bars being your ambient trucks and the blues, I mean the orange circles being the, the ambient and the blue circles being the refrigerator trucks. So it tells us where our demand is going to come from, the two modality sets. And then as you can see in these tables, I've taken the northern region demand, eastern cape, and western cape demand. So areas like Senvis, Schrobersdaal, Marble Hall, you can see that because of the growth in lemons, navels, and valencias. Massive demand coming from there. Let's tell you on the Valencias, Hood as well on Valencias and Navel's, and on the blue bars you can see um, the demand coming from Burgers Burgersfort, Nelspruit, and also Johannesburg CBD. So that's principally where the refit truck demand comes from, and your ambient demands coming from there. It is quite interesting when you when you put this heat map together that Limpopo River, um, you can see the size in the in the in the bubble there if you look at zimbabwe the bubbles hardly even there it was very surprising to me that that it's such an extensive um, production you know in these areas relative to to other areas so if you, if you it's, it's an exact equation so it's, it's relative to the size of that that market then coming down to uh, the eastern cape you can see the Sand river area look at that difference compared to the eastern cape uh, midlands area in terms of its size and then potency and the potency has got quite a big growth in lake mandarins as well as sunday river so as i mentioned to look at the closeness to the port and um, probably less problematic than what you see from the northern area down to durban Maputo. in the western cape um, you can sorry i've actually hit in the northern cape i need to slide this down so citrus doll and up and brilliant we've discussed that in last session uh quite extensively around that blue that blue um circle there very high growth in lake mandarin's and obviously you know that the uh the other commodities citrus stole a lot of navels lemons being produced and also growing in terms of its late mandarins but again look at the closeness to the port relative really, to, to the north so it's very interesting to bring it into that sort of context and then the key feature on this is that if we look in the northern regions and as i've said to you our immediate focus i believe needs to be there and to offset the demand in, in road transportation from the current demand to the future demand it's going to. We're going to need to see eighteen thousand pallets of citrus moved from the northern regions in in, in collection to the Durban Port, Maputo Port each week. Now, if you break that down, now I haven't put it into containers because there's different modalities which are, are probably going to come into play. But that represents about what is it? A thousand containers a, a week. We do know about a thousand in total in in the season. We now have to put a thousand containers on trains. To, to, to cater for that demand from the north to, to, to Durban and Maputo. So it's a very significant um, undertaking, taking potentially 800 road truck trips a week off from, from road transport to, to rail transport. Mitchell?
0: Yes. Um, of this volume coming in, how much of this will be loaded onto conventional reefer ships and how much of this are you expected to be going into containers?
2: So when we go into session either number three or number four, when I mentioned the shipping project, we're going to drill right down into that, and that's going to be its own discussion at that point. This is really just on road transportation, and there's some very interesting discussions going to come out of that as well, and particularly around the conventional vessels, and where we're seeing them in terms of the future. But we're just honing right specifically on transportation at this point. Are we good on, on that slide? Yes, we are. Yes, thank you. Great. Okay, so let's talk about now some of the solutions we've we've talked about where the demand is coming from. Okay, and I'm pretty I'm pretty sure, as I mentioned to you in the last session, the hairs are, are again coming standing up at the back of my neck when we talk about transportation. So let's talk about what are some of the solutions and and practical steps for exporters and um, pack houses and uh, and farmers to look at in terms of of um, overcoming this this demand constraint now if you look here um in terms of citrus this 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 um move to to run containers from ports inland empty to a packhouse and loads fruit um, into the container run back down to ports in road transportation is it's being done, but not in in extensive numbers, and I'm pretty sure we we know why. There's two factors: probably a cost factor, and I think some of the the main constraints is around the the mass, the axle mass exceeding the, the road regulation. But I think and sure. um, I would encourage. Is there a question?
1: No, it's just interesting that the that the mass is exceeding the what you're allowed to transport.
2: Yes, there's, now, there's, well, there's a, a, there's, there's a reason for that. for
1: that, and I. And I there was other legislation so about transporting the height of, of containers. Has that all of that been okay, resolved? I
2: mean, with that? I'll answer all of the legislative issues around, around this as well. So the, the, the main thing here, which is actually beneficial to farmers, is that they can pack their fruit directly into containers, and that fruit's not touched until it gets to market. So you can imagine the cold chain benefit, the actual quality of the product benefit. Okay, let's exclude some of the road condition aspects there you're really getting your, your product to market in a, in a very good condition and your cold chain is, is most should be mostly intact to market. So it's really good from that point of view. And then obviously your, your containers, when they get transported to port, are going directly into port stacks. So you're you bypassing the cold store, some of the cold store congestion and issues there. So it's directing your food from your packhouse straight to the port where it's plugged in and then put on the ship. So the problematic areas there is obviously the cost aspect. So if you're running a, a truck with an empty container all the way inland, and let's use Let's tell as an example, 900 kilometers, um, it can become, you know, obviously a bigger cost factor than running your fruit by normal trucks down to port. Um, so that's one of the, the constraints. But some areas would successfully be able to do this. Now, coming to the legislation part of it, the container itself weighs 4.5 to 5 tons, just that box that you see on there, and then you obviously got your cooling unit attached to that. Your trailer unit itself is very heavy. If you look at this one, it's a full steel, probably not even air air suspension. It's full um, spring, leaf spring suspension. It's got dual wheels on there, probably steel. It's got a genset unit on there as well, which is about 500 kilograms, plus you've got about 50 to 100 litres of fuel on there. So if you look at the distribution of the weight onto the front drive axles and on the rear axles, you do have a weight distribution problem, particularly on some trucks. Look at this truck. This is probably a 12.5, 13-metre truck. Look at the space difference in the overhang of the, the front of the container over these axles. So if you're running, say, lemons and you're packing lemons at 18 kgs per, per carton, you're not going to be able to get this on and then have your and axle mass in accordance to, to legislation. But if you look at the trailer that I'm showing on the top right in Cornia, Willerton Transport was, um, helped us in the study a little while back. And if you see that developed this truck, it's full aluminium, aluminium, single wheels, air suspension. They've got the fifth wheel at a point where it can distribute the weight quite well. And they were able to get 28 tons into a configuration using this trailer. So it is being done and to a large extent complying with road regulations. But again, some packing is not really conducive. You've got to be very clever on on how you do it. And I've seen some pack houses um, that are very successful in in doing this and still today run a lot of their product to to port um, using this method. And then the the other road regulation, as you mentioned, the 4.3 height. So there is a moratorium at the moment in place, so it's it's not transgressing the the, the, the road regulation, but basically if your vehicle height has to be 1.4 to allow for the 2.9-metre height of the container. If, if your truck trailer is higher than 1.4, which in most cases it is, you exceed that for um, um, getting other the registration, it's uh, 3.6 yeah um, Yan you know, can correct me I'm pretty, I know he's very really aware of this. So that's where that is. So for now it's, it's rectified through the moratorium, but still not in totality um, rectified. Well,
0: and, and yes. another thing and also no. another thing also is you that Gen in the front needs to be accessed by ppcb yes. just in celebration. So that's probably why there's a little space in front of the of the of the actual container standing there.
2: Yeah, so this this is a tracks trailer. So this normally does general cargo. If you look at the trailer on the right here, the skeletal, there's no front load bed, so they can access it without any hindrance. And this is the type of trailer you actually want to use. It's a purposely built con- a trailer for containers. This is just a, a dry goods trailer being used for for running citrus, which, you know, obviously transporters use it during citrus season, and they'll go and do rice or other commodities in the port. But this is essentially the trailer that you you want to run long distance with. When I'm, when I'm traveling the N3 and other areas, I notice a lot of transporters are using these skiller for trailers, and you very seldomly see these, these cases. Grapefruit, you'll be fine. Mandarins, you should be fine. When it comes to lemons, valentias, navels, you may have a weight issue on, on these particular trailers.
0: Interesting. Very interesting.
2: Okay. Yeah. And again, if you go down to the Western Cape, you will know most pack houses are running trailers straight to their pack houses from the coal store down to port. And then... And a lot of this has been done, particularly up in the Northern Cape um, from Ausendia as well, as you know, from Namibia. This is the way they they mostly do. Okay, so I'm going to just quickly run through some of the rail aspects. And I think we can bring Jan-Louis here at this point in time. And I can't see the screen, so just let me know when Jan-Louis is available.
0: Okay, I'll I'll add Jan. um, And I'm going to ask Jan to just briefly introduce himself to the, the viewers.
2: All right, I'm going to just quickly introduce um, Jan-Louis Bolster and, and while we brought him in. as Jan-Louis Spilstra has, um, you know, been with us as the CGA for many years. He's an ex-transit employee and he's um, in a very good position to give us an understanding of what's happening on the rail policy framework. Um, he knows this a lot better than I do. I could probably tell you in layman's terms, but I'm guessing it's better for a professional person to give us an overview. But in a nutshell, um, Jan-Louis, if I get it right or wrong, just correct me that the policy framework is going to start to see a separation of Transnet into the infrastructure manager when um, hopefully seeing some private operators on the on the networks. Transnet itself will become a competing operator. And then, you know, it's gonna have an evolutionary journey which we need to follow. And then obviously it'll it'll you give us some feedback in terms of where we see some benefits on the citrus industry and partners in rail opening up the space as we've discussed the um the strategy we need to see on, on rail traffic. So I'll hand over to you if that's okay. Thanks, Yen
3: no, thank you very much, yeah. Mitchell, yeah. Uh, yeah. and the rest of the people online. Just a quick background, I am an industrial engineer. Uh, as Mitchell said, I worked for many years in the transnet environment. At this stage, assisting the Dutch uh, through the flying swans with uh, feasibility studies, where we will look at setting up for the fruit industry very specific I mean, country <laughs> facilities connected to to rail, because I'm very much rail-biased. Secondly, I'm an independent board member of the Interim Rail Economic Regulator, and we are setting up this... We are setting up this... uh, Uh, Sorry, uh, is there some repeat coming? I just need to to check if I need to switch my volume a bit down. Uh, And then thirdly, I'm also representing BUSA, Business Unity South Africa, on the NLCC working committees especially on the container corridor uh, through the port of Durban. And uh, Mitchell, perhaps just uh, one or two remarks, you know, what we achieved on the ports. I've heard that you've mentioned that some of the backlog has been reduced uh, and uh, we were working quite hard uh, to see what can we introduce to reduce the delays and the backlog of ships waiting to enter the port of, of Durban. Uh, And one of the important parts is that we actually introduced a new rail shuttle. uh, And that is where the Bayit container terminal as a back-of-port facility is now connected to the port at equal rights to shippers delivering into Bayit or delivering directly into DCT. That assisted, together with some changes in the way we uh, got Transnet to look at the workforce, uh, an additional uh, helicopter that is available in the port of Durban, uh, and then also a focus on the rail. How can we increase the number of slots available between Durban and Johannesburg on a daily basis? We've been already over 20 slots, and this is from eight when we started in the middle of last year. So we are achieving quite a lot of things. Uh, also, just on the rail side, we are now focusing to see, can we set a pilot in place? Uh, to caterich from Durban that will then also deal with the Hammersdale and the cold stores that Maersk, uh developed in, in Cater So that hopefully we will be able to, to announce quite soon. Uh, the main important thing of where we're heading in South Africa is that government first of all, the, uh, the cabinet approved the new rail policy and the rail policy required that we introduce competition on rail. Uh, And for this, uh, we started with the process of how do we change Transnet and what do we do with Transnet? Uh, At the same time, government went through the process of developing the freight logistics roadmap. Uh, And for the people that don't have that, please download Draft 7. That is the one that was approved by cabinet. on the 7th of december from the department of transport website if you go to transport.gov.za you can download that and that really gives you more detail on some of the changes that's coming now what is this changes coming sorry devil do you have a question
0: hmm. yes there's actually a question that came in from colin ramoni i'll put it up on the screen um the question has the central rail planning component established and is the national rail master plan underway
3: uh, i will get to that uh, and answer colin's uh, question just in a bit okay. uh, but, but just to say that part of what needs to be implemented at this stage is to say that the old transnet Freight rail or squirnet or whatever you wanted to call it as we knew it will no longer exist as you knew it from the end of April. Uh, and this is how soon this will be. Uh, so to change the whole railway system, it will go through various iterations. The first is that the physical split is happening inside the Transnet freight rail and also in a prasa, where the networks, meaning the physical rail line, the stations, the signaling system, everything connected to that, will be transferred into new business units in the two different entities called the infrastructure manager. And Transnet started talking about this as the Trim or the Transnet infrastructure manager. And then the remainder will be the operating companies. So you will also find that Transnet will start speaking uh, about the FROC or Transnet Freight Rail Operating Company. Now, Part of the responsibility for the implementation, and that's coming to Colin's question, is that central master planning and longer term planning that will include answering the questions. What portions of the network will be more important and less important? Can we let go of certain parts of the network? That will become a function in the Department of Transport. And we hope that after the government's budget will be published uh, in about three weeks from today, that funding will be allowed to create that specific unit within the Department of Transport. So the Department of Transport will be doing the rail planning and then asking the questions, is this branch line important or not? You know, can we get a business case for a very specific area uh, in the country or where we need? do we need to up capacity and create new capacity? Uh, so, initially, not yet in place, it's still being done, uh, Colin, by Transnet, uh, but hopefully from the middle of the year, we can start transferring that over uh, to the Department of Transport. Uh, just on the, the trim site, from the 1st of April, a separate uh, business unit, it's part of Transnet Freight Rail, at the end of September, it must be a separate business unit. Like you have TNPA separate from a TPT, you'll have the infrastructure manager separate from the operating company. And then from April 2025, the intention is that this entity, the TRIM, must be a fully corporatized entity that can potentially be moved out of Transmet. So it must have its own board of directors, uh, separate from the Transnet Board of Directors to create total independence of the infrastructure provider together with the operating entities.
0: Now, so, so sorry, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. If if I may ask, and 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 again, this is my limited knowledge, and I've, uh, please correct me if I understand this wrong. So Transnet is going to separate the rail part out into its own commercial company, which is still which will still be state owned but then private sector can invest into that company. Am I correct in saying that?
3: Uh, Not initially that uh, the private sector can invest directly into Trim, but if you look at the lines that is operated by Trim, for example, the main line between Johannesburg and Durban, the potential exists that a concession can be made available where the private sector can then take up the concession on the main line between Durban and Johannesburg, uh, but still subject to the same policy, meaning that from the end of April, open access for any other operating company that wants to compete with Transnet or the concessionaire at that time must be allowed to do that, so that we have multiple operators. Think about okay. the Sunrail and the Toll concessions. You, you know, the Toll concessions provided the infrastructure, but we still had all the different trucking companies that can compete with each other on the toll roads. Uh, even if a toll road was managed not directly by Sunroll, but through an uh, agency agreement with the N3 toll concession or the N2 toll concession or any of those entities.
0: So it could be at a point where some, let's say I've inherited two billion rand from some long-lost grandmother, I can buy my own train and run my own freight on that on that uh, line?
3: <laughs> yes, David, uh, I would like to suggest, you know, if you have access to a few million, please order your <laughs> locomotives and your wagons now, because from April, you will be allowed to apply for slots or specific schedules on the train net, on the network, and you will be able to, to run on that. Just, just a bit more detail perhaps that I need to share with this meeting. Uh, what is the process going forward? Uh, as the independent rail economic regulator, we had meetings with Transnet. Uh, already on what is called the network statement, as well as the access conditions and the access pricing. And we are just waiting for Transnet and Public Enterprises to give the go ahead so that we can release this information publicly as a public consultation process that must commence now in February and be concluded by end of March for implementation in April. And this is where everyone will know what will be the conditions, how do you apply for a slot and how much you will pay for a slot. Uh, What what will happen because of this? I think after April, when we start implementing the strangers in the country, you will see an explosion in the investment in new rolling stock and new locomotives by the private sector. Uh, I will not be surprised if within the next first two years of the implementation, a total of more than a hundred billion rand's worth of investments will be announced, not just for the fruit industry, Mitchell, but but this will also be for the chrome that you've seen there in Pumalanga running. It will be for the coal to make sure that the volumes to RBCT can be recovered. Iron ore, the manganese going to Port Elizabeth and Nuga uh, coming out of the Northern Cape, that we can put that on rail. But also uh, what, from my side, we're very interested is also how do we recreate These reefer train sets that can run from the Limpopo area down to the different ports. And that is uh, quite interesting. The reefer containers can be handled. We've shown it, it works. Uh, And the only thing required now is we need to get the operator uh, for that service. Perhaps initially in the first month, it can still be Transit Freight Rail, but it can very soon go over to a new private entity. And these private entities can be anyone of the current six or seven that already expressed interest, but there's also the opportunity for new ent- entrants to come into, into being. Uh,
0: and, 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 and another question, and a very important one, what's the, what's the status of the actual railroad infrastructure, the, the physical train lines that they've got to go on? Is it in, yeah. such, a, in such a way that it can, it can kick off tomorrow and will be working?
3: Uh, I want to say yes. You know, there is some areas where we need to look at uh, perhaps just uh, improving the quality. So there is some areas with a bit of a speed restriction uh, where you cannot run at 70 or 80 kilometers an hour on the train, but perhaps at 30. Uh, but for the majority of the network, whether it's from Usina, whether it's from Let'seteletsanin or Woodsprout, uh or Nelsprite, those networks all exist and the trains can run. Also, just as a remark, if you look at the fruit that was already moved on rail last year from two places uh, up country, it was out of City Deep, connected to the cold stores uh, on the East Rand. Was it was it's CTI Logistics, uh, Mitchell, I can't remember the exact name. And then the other from Bella Bella, They were more than a 99% success rate with all of that fruit arriving on time for the correct vessel and at the correct quality in the port where the cold chain were maintained all the way from the cold stores right into the receiving clients, whether it was China or Europe. Uh, And to expand this uh, will be quite beneficial to the citrus growers uh, and also the avocado growers, let let me add them. They already have some of the cold stores up country. Uh, We don't have enough cold store uh, just to connect to to this changed railway environment uh, for fruit on rail. But can it work? Yes, it will work. Will it work this year? Limitedly, yes, because the investment hasn't started. Will it work from 2025 and be in place for the volumes that Mitchell put on the table just now for 2027? I believe it will. Uh, and I will believe that you may see up to 40% of the fruit potentially coming from some of these areas, being capable of being served with a railway solution by 2027. But changes are happening now. Look out for when we publish the network statement, the access costs, the access agreements. And for public comment, please submit your comments uh, from February when it will be out in the public. I'm sure the President will make a some remarks on this, Mitchell, next week during his Sonos watch.
1: Jan-Louis, that is incredible Jan-Louis. news. That's the best news we've heard in a very long time, and let's hope the potential turns into reality. Thank you very much for sharing that with us. Yes.
3: It's, it's only a pleasure. Thank Thanks, this, to Mitchell. Uh, you're welcome to contact me again. And people know my contact, or they can reach me through LinkedIn uh, if they have any contribution to, to share with me. Thank you very much.
2: Yes, and from my side, thank you, Young louis and thank you for coming on at, at, sh- at such short notice. Dear <laughs> um, Luis, <throat> I've got one or two slides uh, left, just uh, a couple of um, closing remarks on young louis uh, comments, and then just understanding, you know, how we should position ourselves as an industry going forward in rail. And then I just going to show you some of the, immediate, the um, current uh, rail opportunities and what we'd like to see into the future based on some conversations we're having with... Um, People are wanting to give me to the rail space. So I'm just going to present my my slides again. If you just give me a second. Sure.
0: Um, I'm going to and keep Jan on we, in case he wants to comment on something.
2: No, perfect. Yes, I would like him to to comment. He's very actually very much a part of a lot of these these developments. So just let me know when you, you see that again on your screen. It's on. It's on. Okay, great. <clears throat> so in summary, and, and and look, I'll be honest. You, I've given some thought to to um, as you mentioned some of the the investment that needs to be made, and uh, having a chat to some of the investors that are waiting, rail operators waiting to invest. Um, some of the complication may come in the fact that um, hopefully, you, when you dear when you inherit that money from your great grandmother, <laughs> it's it's not millions, <laughs> it's billions, because. If we consider rail assets, we need to bring a line to the fruit industry. Let's not just talk citrus, because I'd like to see the compatibility of rail development running citrus and citrus season and going back to table grapes and deciduous and deciduous season. So we can have a a much more balanced view on our rail um, deployment and and have a much better economies of scale. I'm sure you'll agree with that. So that investment is going to be quite significant. And um, you know, obviously, we must understand in terms of reefer the specific rail sets we need to have the coupling of the the cables, the genset units, the locomotives themselves. So it's it's it brings into question how you know the pricing competitiveness against transnet freight rail, which runs uh, wagons which are offset in terms of depreciation quite extensively in terms of the locomotives. So the comparison between a new entrant coming in will be interesting to see, and that's why I put in my closing remark on this one. And watching the evolutionary journey that lies ahead, because I do believe it's going to be an evolution, and we need to, as an industry, I think you know, chatting at board level, um, we need to really come down and and start to select partners um, that have the ability to to match our, our you know requirements, and then start to select those partners if we can on specific <laughs> projects. But obviously, there's going to be some running organically. So to to close off the the discussion on the rail, there's two specific aspects which are very interesting: is the long-term or well, let's say the long-distance um, rail transportation models, which we are discussing with a, f- a few entrants at the moment, those that are the currently in place and those that are, are earmarked to be developed into the future. And then I want to talk a bit about what Yaluvi mentioned on some of the short-distance rail. We talk about Cater Ridge um, as well as Belleville, Balcon. Um, so I'm going to close up with these two specific ones. So we have a look at this, um, this presentation. As I mentioned to you, our goal is to try and move 18,000 pallets from the north to the port of Durban. Um, and potentially Cape Town, because um, as we move into these, um, you know, high-volume reefer train sets, we may see some obstruction on, uh, on say, the Durban, makuta corridor. And if we start targeting Europe, it makes a lot more benefit to to move out of Cape Town where you can get to market a lot quicker. Um, mm-hmm. But we obviously got to talk about the distance and the pricing and hopefully some return cargo on that. But the, the immediate one, if you have a look at this green bar here, it signifies the short-term potential for city deep and areas around uh, Ting. Current operations, as uh, Yan Louis said, Merskin Corporation, Instra Cold Store um, is running via City Deep. You have the group of CA Standing Bridge, which are also running Citrus um, down from that area to the port as well, and they have been doing for the last couple of years, and that's still in place. I do believe Instra is running a cold store, which is just outside. I think it's close to Springs, uh, Yan Louis. And CA Standing Bridge is about to invest in significant cold store capacity in City Deep. So it already immediately opens up an opportunity for you know the cold treatment aspects any cold requirements on citrus and even table grapes which are running now from Robbersdal, you know to Durban and Cape Town. So there's going to be some immediate opportunity from from City Deep and and Ghateng. and those that need to I know of. I don't know if there's any more. We must get partners to come and, and and talk to us if there are anything they that we need to know. The Bella Bella operation, which is being run. Um, by Althea tarson and Cole, well, I think it's still Cole Yanui, I'm not 100 percent sure. I'm hoping that Althea is actually on. I didn't buy to. And, and that's been running for many years. And you know, and as Jan Louis says, the, the the operations of rail have run so well from that area. It's, it's actually quite remarkable, given some of the challenges that have experienced the rail of late, how well they've been doing out of Bela Bella. And hopefully we'll see sometime in the future the the rail linkage directly into Hobber's Dollar Marble Hall so that they can eliminate that 60 um, 60 to 80 kilometer round trip to Bella Villa because Roblo Doll sits just outside of Bella, Bella and there's a bit of an issue with the rail linkage into into that area. So that'll continue. And as you can see the growth from robber's Doll, it's only going to but expand, I think. Um, and as we get into the evolutionary journey, as I mentioned, I think there's going to be a lot of good progress happening on, on that particular front as well. Moving into Let's Tele, um has been working on a project as you mentioned with the flying swans around building coal store capacity in Zanin and uh, i believe you you said that should be coming on stream sometime soon which will run trains also down to Durban, and cape town very promising there's also been some discussion around facilities in hood Sprite, um, as well um, but let's see what happens there in in, in the future a uh, very nice site there around this area i will to see it and then also there's been a lot of discussion around the messina area and there has been some some um, containers packed from Messina down to port. But, you know, with the E-regulations and a lot of the valentias that are growing there, it does have to have the cold, um, the cold stores mm-hmm. located there. And if we also spoke about in the previous sessions, the growth in Zimbabwe, it makes a lot of sense for them to jump onto that, that development as it goes, happens into the future. Maputo is a very interesting one. We did discuss it last week, and I think there's a slide that's going to come specifically on this corridor and um, some potential that like, Grunerlevers you looking into in building very... Um, big investment in coal store capacity or somewhere on the N4 corridor, we're going to be going to see it in about two or three weeks' time, linked with DP World um, on that as well. And that'll carry through that that whole sort of Maputa corridor belt into those markets. But there's a particular project that needs to be developed on that front. As I've also mentioned, some opportunities between Eastern Cape and Western Cape, there's a lot of fruit that moves between the ports, not only in deciduous season, but also in citrus season. So into the future, we we should hopefully see some traction on some movement between those particular areas as well. But again, I'd also like to start to see some more um, more frequent linkages between the Western Cape and up into Gauteng, um, so we can divert a bit of fruit from, from Durban, particularly up into the northern hemisphere um, markets. Devot, okay. have you got any comment on that before I move on? Yeah,
0: I've got a question and it's pertaining to cold storage and this transport. With the fruit from Zimbabwe, they must go into bond in South Africa. Yes. And I'm not sure what's going to happen with Eswatini and with Botswana once they come online as well. Will those will that fruit also need to go into bond storage? Or will the agreements be in place between South Africa and them to put it into normal storage on the site?
2: Yeah, unless, unless I stand to be corrected, I believe anything that's not in South Africa would need to come through in bond. Eswatini does come into bond. The facilities that manage this cargo are currently bonded facilities. And they go through a, a particular clearing and forwarding process for that in-bond cargo. So yes, you're right. Um, but the Africa Free Trade Agreement is something that I've put onto Albert. Could see. I'm hoping Albert may be on here as well. Um, I believe we need to look at exactly what you've mentioned there. Um, you know what the process would be going into into the future on that. You know, transiting cargo from from this region through. Because, because through if I remember
0: correctly, the, from from the citrus um, live stream to China, is that the only bond store for Zimbabwe? was at Amersdale. So, so all their fruit had to come down oh, to
2: really Durban. Cool. Yes, they are. I think Zimbabwe is now using about three facilities in, in South Africa for their fruit. You know, and, and so does yep. Okay, It's so a very but
3: good but point of have so we'll, take that. So I'll take that back. Yeah, they, they all, perhaps just to mention, previously Zimbabwe fruit were containerized right. and run out of the Musina Intermodal Terminal on rail uh, down to Durban. Yep. So that is still possible. Uh, it's just that when you construct a cold store in the Musina or Bightridge area, you will have a separation between who will uh, or what part will handle the Zimbabwean fruit and what will handle South African fruit. There yeah. must just be a physical separation <laughs> between the fruit. Uh, Mitchell, can I just mention one or two other aspects? You know, and on the investments itself, you do have the option to commence operations on rail Using second-hand equipment from Transnet, so, so part of yes. the Transnet changes will be that nearly all the locomotives and wagons will go into leasing company, and potentially yes. the, this leasing company will have the majority shareholding coming from Transnet, and people will be able to to lease it from there. You also have the option to purchase new. Uh, Now, what is the difference between new and the second hand from Transnet? It's uh, A new wagon may be eight tons lighter than the existing ones with Transnet. So for every train moving up and down, if it's a 50 wagon train, it's perhaps 400 tons that you're not moving up and down. And it's for 400 tons that I don't need a locomotive and I don't need energy. So quite soon, your transport cost may may work out uh, on that very specific scenario. Uh, it is then with that that you also look at even the shorter distances with a Kaita reach. Uh, what is important with Kaita reach is that it's a significant area where MERSC currently bring in loaded reefer for containers, but for some of the big retailers in South Africa, filled with uh, non-cold items like clothing. So we have availability of empty reefers in the Rich. and that's one of the reasons when I need to get the empty reefers up country, uh, I need to have a service linking cater-rich to the port, but also cater-rich to upcountry. So, so just understand where the importance of these some of these back-of-port facilities, whether it's a balcon or cater-rich, will come in uh, as well. Uh, on the marble wall. Uh, mm-hmm. I hope to get that line fixed at one stage. Uh, it will be a billion round to go and put back the line, but we will have to do the feasibility and I think it will be a viable project to, to. get <laughs> out.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Yalu. So just to close off on this slide, why I've put a very significant dot there at, at Johannesburg is for two reasons. The, if you look at the investments needed across the specific areas, you know, it's a very big investment and maybe the, you know, the seasonality constrains that return on investment where, and I'm not saying foregoing any investment, I'm just saying the, the proposal in terms of a really good economies of scale investment around Johannesburg and White Works, and asking as you capture the entire region's uh, volume on Citrix from start of the early lemons to the later sort of mandarins coming from this area. So you have an opportunity to capture quite a big volume. And the other one is obviously looking at the Durban to Johannesburg. And as Jan-Louis said, you know, when rail works, it works incredibly well. There's no better way to get your containers into a port terminal than it is by the rail transportation. And when it works, it's, it works incredibly well. But look, there are, as you say, some some incidences where it's been problematic, but there's been, you know, intervention to to sort it out. Your time from Johannesburg to Durban on sweating your asset is is quite good if you look at the, the throughput times at the moment. So you can sweat your asset quite well. Running there, then the other one, which I'm very, I think is also very important for us to consider, is what commodities can we bring in on empty reefer containers from Durban to Johannesburg or Cape Town, where you can unpack and let those goods go to win. And the automotive industry is one good example, trying to get automotive components back into reefer containers, not on, but switched off in in container, and then you know loaded with citrus and and and, and, and to cities brought back to 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 port. So that's a really you know interesting dynamic we consider that. So moving on, I know we're running out of time, so I'm going to just go a bit quicker. So looking at Maputo, the, the interesting thing here, um, some some dynamics around Maputa, um is really the cross border issue is is number one. Is that you know we heard last year very very um, good um, cross border transactions with trucks carrying citrus into the port, um considering the the bottlenecks of, of uh, dry it minerals moving to the, the corridor there. But if we look into the real sort of practical measures is really trying to get onto the rail aspect from the Infall corridor and um, to get into ports. Why is that? Why? Why do I say that? Firstly, because if you look at the rail network going into DP World specifically, the actual rail lines run right next to the reef stack, so you penetrate the port quite well. You can bring the empty containers from DP World into this area and, and obviously have your fruits pre-cleared by the Department of Agriculture, the various inspection processes. The other problem is obviously the the protocol requirement which doesn't allow fruit from South Africa to be inspected in maputo and then and then sent out of the port you know i'm not saying it's it's not going to be not able to be happen and overcome we could do it but there is a constraint from the department on that front so, so if we're going to target markets like japan and china in very big volumes we, we may need to look at doing it from the South African side and then your containers run down to port in in bond under cold treatment on a reefer trap so I think Brenrod at the moment are looking at that project. And then if we just couple onto that the existing facilities in Makuto, which I'm going to talk about in subsequent slides, but I just want to mention it now, there's been significant investment there running fruit into Makuto, and that's going to continue. And I expect that to expand quite well. But to really gravitate, really expand on the grapefruit belt in this area where the, most of the grapefruits growing into Japan, China, South Korea, would need to be looking at at, at a model of, of that sort of thing. And that's what it indicates at the moment. We're still doing a business case on the Maputo model as you see here, but as I say, there are existing facilities where fruit is running into, into the port. And and going and up to Beira. Say okay. again.
0: Can can you go up to Beira port from, from there?
2: Well I don't know if there's a rail linkage at the moment up to, to Beira. I, I don't believe there, there maybe there is. I don't I haven't mm-hmm. looked at it so I actually can't answer that. But I also think, why would you want to go to Beira where you can get to Durban? Um, I would imagine a lot more efficient and cheaper. If you look at our growth, well, where, where our fruit is growing, Beira is quite well out of the ge- ge- geographical sort of um, picture there. Uh, we yeah, must we use ports
3: the, the If I could just come in the the rail saying, line uh, out of what uh, put to the north is the Chikwala Kwala line that runs into Zimbabwe. Uh, and then you need to go via Rare down to Beira. There's no direct linkage. Between yeah, Beiron and yeah. Ubuntu on rail. Uh Beira also, although it's an excellently managed port by Cornelder, and I know the owner of Cornelder very well, uh, it is a shallow port and you, you will a and have significant additional time in getting vessels uh, or boxes to market because it will have to be transshipped uh in other ports. Okay
2: so moving Go on um if we talk about what do we mentioned and, and you know if we talk about the growth rate in, in durban And the, in the next session i'm going to show you some of the the growth in container volumes leaving durban and you know if we give if we highlight some of the current um penetration issues of, of tracking into the port um you know we 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 want to in fact even transit are signing with us with this. in terms of their strategy is to get a lot short distance rail um, rail sites going where we can move containers from the port inland and from inland down to the port. So it talks very much to Transnet's strategy and obviously the Durban port master plan as well. So what we've done, what what is happening at the moment is and ben, I'll talk principally Merck, and I'm not going to eliminate any of the other um, business models which are currently in, um, coming into play. but just to highlight what Merck have done is they've built a facility up at cater Ridge, linked to the investment with, with pre-cool cold store and there's some other facilities going to be invested in here in the near future. And they've got a, an empty container depot which is being positioned there which can run on the net line down to to durban so at some point in time they're going to be able to run empty containers up into this area have them serviced and then supply to the coal stores that are linked into that area that um, are going to come in in the short space of time and they can run those containers um down to port so that's opens up a really good opportunity and there's a lot of if you come into cater Ridge, anyone who's been there you can see the expansion that's happening there is, is incredibly progressive so Sometime in the near future there's going to be quite a formidable rail linkage shift that's going to happen uh, from there. The other one which is will is really be interesting to see is the um, the clothing manufacturers, very formidable ones like Mr. Price and Pep and Ackermans and all of them are here. Um, the opportunity to run clothing and, and household goods in refrigerated containers so they can unpack here and then repack citrus back down to port. So we're not running empty containers, we run full up and full down. That's the business model that was pitched to to Merz for that investment. So. That's going to happen and then obviously we'll learn from from other stakeholders that'll be investing in there what's going to happen and the other opportunities around durban south um there's some very big cold stores that are positioned in this area so is there a likelihood of some some rail terminal expansion into the port from that that sort of south durban basin um a recent fresh Plaza article stated that transit are looking at a back of port site and i'm going to meet with transit just to see where they're going with that and then align to see how industry can align with that so basically it talks very much to to what we put in there so this is the short distance opportunities and then maybe there might be some other sites we could look at into the future but the immediate opportunities definitely um, lie on that on that opportunity so hopefully we're going to we see some traction there very very soon and i'm guessing this year might be the year we can coerce MERSC and the other partners to to start actually getting that into implementation <laughs> if you consider what i'm going to show you in, in session number three can we move on or are we, are we good
1: yeah we good good
2: perfect another very exciting one is again you know most building and you've seen some of the the news articles and uh, i've also released some videos of the containers from balcon Belville going into the port of cape town in not only into ctct the main terminal but also to fpt and i believe from the last time i spoke to them they're going to be building a quite a big size cold store at the balcon site and then obviously there will be an opportunity to run your your fruit there for for cooling and then packing containers and running into port as well so we're seeing very good, you know, the industry's moving in the right direction in terms of rail in, in um, you know, development. And I think looking at the deciduous season, and at our, our colleagues on the deciduous side will tell you more on that. You know, when the port gets windbound, it actually does provide a really good penetration mechanism to drop off containers and then run them by rail down to the port. So, again, let's hope that we, we see this uh, traction on this happening quite soon. And I haven't put anything on Eastern Cape, but as I said to you, we're looking at the short-term immediate opportunities, and then we need to evaluate um with partners that come with, with proposals on, on different other areas that we can we can link into as well. Because as I've shown you, the Sanders River area has got a huge growth um, on, on, on on citrus and we hopefully can see some rail activity in there into the future. And Dearbold Louise, that comes to the end of the of the slide. And I'm I'm hoping it's been very interesting and uh very fruitful for everybody online. It certainly does leave a lot of food for, for thought, hey? am I right?
0: It's, it's really interesting. And we've had quite a few people watching while we were talking. Um, only the one co- comment from Colin or, or question. Um, but, yeah, I, I think there's a there's a heap of fantastic info that was given now. Um, given. Thank you for your uh, input. Um, pretty sure we're going to have you on again.
2: For sure. Yes, and in the mm-hmm. concluding remarks, um, I would like to again, as I stated in the start of it, that it's really going to need exporters and those that are involved in the actual logistics contracting from a commercial point of view to to really start to align to rail development and work in collaboration with each other to start to unlock these these rail potentials. Um, the farmers are going to need to have this access to rail. They, as I've said to you on the road transportation, it, it just has to happen. We cannot take a back seat and expect everyone else to. we all got to get involved and, and align to these projects. So. As we move on, we'll we'll align with FBF and our CGA board and see how we can come together on a really sort of common strategy on on unlocking unluck- this and getting the collaboration going on on putting together the, the footprints on, on rail. We, we have to do it. Thank you very much, Louise and dear Bolt, and Thank you again, Louise. Thank you. Very interesting.
1: Very interesting.
2: See you right. for the next session and uh, stay tuned. It's going to get yep. more interesting. <laughs>
0: Yes. Thank you. Have a fantastic day and all the best on that side. Thank
2: you. Thank you very much. Cheers, guys.